Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It's Thursday, June the 1st, 2023. On this edition of The Politocrat, the United States Senate passes the debt ceiling extension bill. And does so overwhelmingly as predicted. That and more coming up next on this edition of The Politocrat Daily Podcast. Pinch Punch first day of the month. Welcome, dear listener, to this brand new edition of the Political Daily Podcast for this June 1st, 2023. I hope you are well. Omar Moore here wishing you a good day and asking how you are feeling on this Thursday whenever you happen to be listening to this episode. This is the podcast that, of course, invites you to think differently. A lot going on, of course. But really, I want to focus on the debt ceiling extension that got passed today, this evening, by the United States Senate. Now, President Biden, I expect this will be tomorrow, will be signing this bill into law just four days before, or three days, I should say, before the deadline that was scheduled to hit on Sunday, the 5th of June, if I'm not mistaken, because that really was, and I don't even know what the date is really as far as that goes. I would think that it's June 5th, it's a Sunday. Um, But yeah, I think it is. So the deadline was June the 5th. That was really the last day that, uh, according to the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, that the United States could go without um, really risking some serious economic troubles in terms of the deficit, the, the debt ceiling and all the rest. And just a few days before that, here on June the 1st, the United States Senate this evening passed that bill. And it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. And I told you, dear listener, yesterday, and I told you in the episode prior to that, that there was not going to be a problem with the United States Senate getting this job done. The majority leader, Chuck Schumer, would not have put this bill out for a vote tonight had there been an issue getting votes. Now, a three-fifths majority was required, so it was going to be at least 63 votes or whatever votes it was going to be, 60-plus votes. Three-fifths was required here. And so that was what was required to get this to pass. And they got the votes. And they got the votes really without a problem. It was not a big, big deal. And I told you that the corporate news media loves to do this They know, like everyone else knows, that the bill's going to pass. They just want to hype up drama for ratings purposes. I mean, that's really what that's about, dear listener. The ratings that the corporate news media loves is something that they seek, and they're just going to play the loudest voices that dissent, even though those voices are in the the numerical minority, even though those voices are going to be overwhelmingly drowned out. You see, if the corporate news media, dear listener, was interested in just reporting the story straight without bringing up all the shouting voices, then it would have gone to any of the other senators whom they knew were going to vote yes on this bill. No, they didn't do that, though. They chose to go to the senators who were going to shout the loudest and vote no, even though those senators were in the numerical minority. And that's what the corporate news media does. They specialize in creating a lot of noise 
with the fewest people possible, but that noise gets repeated over and over and over again to make you think that there's lots of people against the particular thing that's being talked about. That's what the corporate news media does, and it does it quite well and quite powerfully well. But at the end of the day, all those dissenting voices that you were hearing here in the United States throughout the course of the last week or two, they've now gone quiet and limp and they have disappeared and retired to their quarters for rest and fizzling out of phasing out of play. Because it doesn't matter what they shout and say now, because the bill has been passed and it's going to be signed into law on Friday by the president. Now, again, I'm going to, and it's going to be something I will officially do once the president signs the bill in the forthcoming episode of this Politocrat Daily Podcast. Coming up in the next day or so, I will do this. But I will talk about what this bill has in it because I've not finished reading the 99 pages yet. But I want to let you know what the bill has in it because I don't believe in relying upon what the media says is in the bill. I will read it for myself. That's how I roll here at the Politocrat Daily Podcast. And so there are a lot of people who are not happy. And 36 senators were not happy because they voted no. I'll get to the breakdown of the Senate votes yay and nay in a few minutes time. But what you're seeing with this bill as is right now is that there are Poor people who are going to suffer. That's what it seems like at the minute. And there is going to be even more defense spending or at least an appreciable amount of spending. And I just would shake my head at both those things. And you are going to be having students having to accelerate their payments on their student loans. Now, that is also not a good thing for the younger generation. So there are some things I take strong issue with around this bill. Do not like that fact at all. And I think this goes back to another issue that I may spend a few minutes talking about, which is educating people on voting. And that's really something I aim to do and I have been doing throughout the last few months and will do so even more so throughout the rest of this calendar year as we move into June here and get towards summer. Now, summer is unofficially here if you're in the United States because the Memorial Day holiday weekend, God, didn't that go by quickly, is really signaling a brand new summer reality because after all, this is summertime coming here now, but summer doesn't officially begin until the 21st of this month. That's 20 days from today. So once summer really comes along, then we will really get into overdrive here on the voting and registration and all the rest of it. But I do want to spend a few minutes talking about this on this episode. But the bottom line here, dear listener, is that you had a Senate bill that had debate, negotiation. You know that on this past Sunday, it was both President Biden and the Republican Speaker of the House um, McCarthy, who really has proven to be one of the most venal politicians you can think of, um, who ended up negotiating this thing and getting it done. So that really was the tale of the tape. And I think now 
that the uh, bottom line here, dear listener, to really look at with this whole thing is that both of these uh, participants negotiated something that more than a few people are not happy with. And of course, compromises tend to give you that. So in epilogue style here, um, a compromise did not favor really either side. And in the end, there are going to be people who are not going to be happy. And most of the people I suspect, based on this, and I need again to look at this before I really get deep into the weeds, is the fact that you're going to have people who are making less than, say, what, 50, 40, maybe $30,000 a year, who are going to be very unhappy with this bill. Because if you're a student and you are taking out a loan, and God knows how much your loans are if you're in school, you are going to have to accelerate your loan payments after a two or three, I think it's three-year hiatus. So that is something that will not sit well with the youth. Now, again, this is affecting the people who are in school. This is affecting the younger generations. And so you've got the specter of two men, one of whom is, is I think, in his 50s. The other one is whom is in his 80s, who are doing these budget talks and the, the, rather this negotiation for the debt ceiling extension. And they are making the poor people suffer. They are, make, they are making poorer people suffer. And that's going to be a problem. Now, look, I'm going to get through the whole bill and I'm going to read through and I'm going to get to the heart of the matter in the next few episodes here and, you know, sometime soon and tell you exactly what is in this bill so that you understand it. And I will relate it in a way that is not legalese if you will, and try to put this into some context that we can all understand, including yours truly. But I really, I think more so than anything, dear listener, I'm fascinated, I put that word in quotes for this, at who voted yes and who voted no in the United States Senate. The United States Senate is typically considered the more stuffy of the two branches of the legislature, the bicameral legislature, the House and the Senate, the two houses, that's what bicameral means. And the House has long been known as the place of the people, where the representatives really represent the people. The House is what is known as that. Now, the Senate is much more of an institutionalized old boys, old white boys club, old white boys network. And of course, the United States Senate still is populated with vastly white male senators. Now, there, I think there's, what, 23 uh, senators who are female. And I think of those, 21 of them are white female. And I believe there are two Asian female senators. Tony Duckworth will be one of them. And the senator out of Hawaii would be the other. For some reason, I'm going blank on her name. Now, I don't know why, but I don't remember her name at the moment. And that's very annoying to me. But the bottom line is, is that those are the two, I think it's uh, Maisie Hirono, who um, is the other senator. So 
those are the two Asian female senators and the, the rest are white female senators. And there are no black female senators. And to the best of my knowledge and recollection, no Latino, excuse me, no Latina senators. There are at least two Latino senators, Lujan in uh, New Mexico and Padilla here in California. That's to the best of my recollection at the minute. But what I am fascinated by at this time, dear listener, is the vote and how it shook down here tonight for the United States Senate. 63 A, 63 A, and 36 nay, 36 nay. So those numbers, when, when transposed, give you the vote. 6336, 63 to 36. Now, here are the people who voted yes. I'm going to read out their names because it's not like I have to read out the 400 and some odd names that were at the House yesterday voting. But here are the senators who voted yes. Baldwin, Bennett, Blumenthal, Booker, Boozman, Brown, Cantwell, Capito, Cardin, Carper, Casey, Collins, Coons, Cornyn, Cortez, Masto, Kramer, Duckworth, Durbin, Ernst, Feinstein, Gillibrand, Grassley, Hassan, Heinrich, Hickenlooper, Hirono, Hoven, Kane, Kelly, King, Klobuchar, Lujan, Manchin, McConnell, Menendez, Moran, Mullen, Murkowski, Murphy, Murray, Ossoff, Padilla, Peters, Reed, Romney, Rosen, Rounds, Schatz, Schumer, Shaheen, Cinema, Smith, Stabenow, Tester, Thune, Tillis, Van Hollen, Warner, Warnock, Welch, Whitehouse, Wyden, Young. Those are the 63 names of the senators who voted yes for this bill. Now, all of those people's names I just read out, the vast majority of them are moderates. The vast majority. Now, there are some exceptions. I think that Michael Bennett, the Democrat out of Colorado, is a conservative Democrat. I would say that Chuck Grassley is obviously a moderate Republican. I don't think he's a hardline right winger, but I do think he's a, he's a moderate Republican leaning a bit more to the uh, conservative side. But you won't find any progressives in that group. Kirsten Sinema, who now is an independent, she doesn't even caucus with the Democrats. She's an independent, as she calls herself a true independent. I think she's going to be voted out of office, and I think she should be. Um, she has a challenger coming up, I guarantee you, for when she is running again, whenever that will be, whether it's 2024 or beyond. But Kirsten Sinema has switched to independent, as you know by now. So she is an independent, but she does not caucus with the Democrats. So all of the people who voted yes here, the vast, vast majority of them are moderates or, you know, more to the conservative side. Now, I'm surprised that Ron Wyden, because I always thought of Ron Wyden as a progressive, but obviously not progressive enough because he voted for this bill. Wyden, the Democrat out of Oregon. So I'm somewhat surprised by him. Wyden voting a yes on this. Feinstein, not surprised. She voted yes. She is here out of California. And no one really, no real surprises here. Uh, Tammy Baldwin, uh, a moderate. Of course, uh, Susan Collins, a Republican, a moderate. Bob Casey, a Democrat, a moderate. You see, all these people that I've read out, 
are moderates and Republicans and Democrats alike, along with a couple of independents. Angus King strikes me more as a moderate. And uh, there you go with that. So McConnell joined them. Manchin is not a surprise. Joe Manchin, who is a conservative Democrat, voting yes as well. Warnock doesn't really surprise me because Warnock, uh, Senator Reverend um, Warnock is, God, I can't believe I forgot his first name as well. Goodness gracious me. Uh, Why can't I remember his first name? Reverend Senator Warnock. My goodness me, I am drawing a blank on his first name. Well, Warnock voted yes, and he's a moderate as well. And so is John Ossoff. Both of them are Democrats from Georgia. Both of them are moderates. Now, you would not think so when it comes to um, Warnock, but he is. He's a moderate. He absolutely is. Same thing with Ossoff. I wouldn't have thought he to be a moderate, but he, in fact, is. And so there you have it with that. Why can't I remember? I'll try to remember the Reverend Senator Warnock's first name. Raphael. Gosh, just remembered that. My goodness. Memory, memory, memory. So, yes, Raphael Warnock is the man who um, is your um, uh, senator there in Georgia alongside uh, uh, John Ossoff. The two of them voted yes for this bill. Now, let me read you the names of the senators who voted no. Barrasso, Blackburn, Braun, Britt. Bud, Cassidy, Cotton, Crapo, Cruz, Danes, Fetterman, Fisher, Graham, Hawley, Hyde-Smith, Johnson, Kennedy, Lankford, Lee, Lummis, Markey, Marshall, Merkley, Paul, Ricketts, Rish, Rubio, Sanders, Schmidt, Scott, Scott, Sullivan, Tuberville, Vance, Warren, Wicker. Those are your no votes. And then there was one person who didn't vote. That's Dan Haggerty out of Tennessee, the Republican. So he didn't vote at all. Uh, the other 36 senators did vote. Now, this is interesting. Uh, most of them were Republicans. There were, if I can count them off the top here, looking at the list, if I, if I remember correctly, and I'll look at this again here now, there were four, Four Democrats who voted no in this list of names. Fetterman out of Pennsylvania, Markey, Merkley, Markey out of Massachusetts, Merkley out of Oregon, and Warren out of Massachusetts. Now, these are the progressives I just mentioned. Certainly, Markey and Merkley and Warren are progressives. Fetterman, uh, he leans that way. But, you know, the, those are the people who voted in the Democratic side know on this. Now, Bernie Sanders, who caucuses with the Democrats, but is an independent, voted no as well. That was no surprise. All of those names I mentioned, really, not really tremendous surprises at all. The Republicans, the rest of the no votes, the 31 Republicans who voted, no surprise there. A lot of these senators are much more conservative. Cindy Hyde-Smith is one of them. Marshall Blackburn is another. John Barrasso is another. Uh, you get the idea. Um, Tom Cotton definitely would be one of those. Ted Cruz ugh, is one of those. Josh Hawley, definitely one of those. And you can go on and on and on down the list. The, Mike Lee is another. So you get the idea. Rand Paul is another. 
These are the uh, more staunch conservatives amongst the bunch of Republicans there, right-wingers, who voted no on this bill. And so that is what you're looking at there. But they voted no, these senators, but obviously for different reasons. The Republicans thought that this bill did not cut spending enough, and I'd kind of laugh at that, laugh at that even before I've read the entire 99 pages. I've only read about five or 10 pages so far. So I've still got some digging to do. But the bottom line, dear listener, is that the Republicans and the Democrats who voted no on this bill, the 36 senators who voted no, voted that way for different reasons. Obviously, as I just said, the Republicans thought that there was not enough spending cuts. But of course, of course, cut spending, cut these people's uh, benefits and their Medicaid, because, you know, who needs it? Who needs Medicaid? Who needs Social Security? Who needs uh, more amnesty from student loan payments? Huh? No one in particular. So that's what they complained about. Oh, there's not much cutting here. It's a very, very friendly, friendly budget to the left wing, which is obviously not. It's a bunch of nonsense. And then the Democrats who voted no voted that way because they were not happy about the things that poor people were subjected to and how poor people get a raw deal with this particular bill. And so that's why those Democrats, all four of them, voted no. Now, this is an interesting thing, because what it tells me about the Democrats is you've got a very small circle of progressive Democratic senators. While you have a lot more Democratic senators who are much more ideologically moderate, if you will. So there is much more of a willingness to do the bidding of these Republicans, because guaranteed, I think that this bill would not have been necessary. I know it wouldn't have been necessary if people had actually gone out and voted this last November. I really think so, because you probably would have got a Democratic House again, but it was not to be. And that's where you and I come in right after this. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say, we're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Welcome back. So it is my contention, dear listener, that our failure, or at least some of our failure to vote, has put put us, excuse me, in these positions where we are seeing things happen that really, I think, are avoidable. 
Had the Democrats held on to the House last November, we wouldn't have had to go through this compromising away things that actually benefit the vast majority of people in this country. Most of us make what? Most of the people in this country make less than $100,000 a year, less than $200,000 a year, certainly. And there's only a small amount, small percentage of people who make more than $200,000 a year in this country. It's a very small percentage of people. I mean, not more than 15 or 20%, certainly. And, you know, I'd hazard a guess to say that probably if you're talking about people who make more than a million dollars a year, maybe 15%. Uh, I don't know. And it's probably not a good thing to guess on things like that. But the bottom line is, is that one of the reasons why we got to this place with the debt ceiling situation is because many of us didn't vote last November. A record number of people stayed home in Texas who were under the age of 30. 18 to 30 year olds did not vote in the main. Over 75% of them did not show up at the polls. There's lots of reasons for that, but that is the number. The state of South Carolina saw almost 400,000 black people not vote. And there are reasons for that. But that is the number. And in several other states, you saw a decline in turnout among some voters. And you can point that to a number of things, be it voter suppression, be it just people not engaging in the process. The bottom line, dear listener, is that had the Democrats held on to the House last November, we wouldn't be in this position. I'm repeating myself, but I repeat myself because that is really where we are now, in that position. So you had the Republicans in their usual cynical and disgusting political way, try to extort the country, try to extort the country for more defense spending and less spending on everything else that benefits us on the things that count. And I really do think, aside from the disgusting ways of these Republicans, these fascists, I also think the reason why this has happened is because We didn't go out and vote. Now, there's lots of reasons why, as I said, but here's why I think we can change this. And here's a way to change this. I'll talk about this again at some point on this podcast coming up maybe in a few days or weeks time. But one of the things I think is a very strong way to do this in terms of trying to engage people who may not have voted, but who could have voted is to... Instead of talking at people, listen to people. I strongly believe, dear listener, that in order to register someone to vote, particularly voters who are clearly eligible to vote as voters, but who have not voted recently or have chosen not to, or for some reason one of during one of these election cycles decided to quote unquote sit it out. 
I do really believe that when you speak to someone like that, if you're someone who is in the business of registering voters and you could be anyone, that you could be anyone at all. You don't have to be an expert to register a voter. You don't have to be a supreme expert at doing this. You just have to be someone with the ability to listen. Because I do think that that is the biggest thing when you come to try to register people to vote. You have to be able to listen to the people that you approach. Because I really think that's where the gold comes in. The G-O-L-D, the gold. You can certainly say, are you registered to vote? Here's a registration, get ready to vote. And you can do all those things. And I think that is something we all must do. However, however, the however is you have no way of knowing whether that person you registered is going to actually vote or not when the election comes. We never know that, right? I mean, we could probably go and check the record somehow, maybe, but we don't really know. And so... One of the things that I think a lot of people who are in the business professionally of instructing people how to register to vote that does not get talked about is the ability to talk to people and listen to them and ask them, have they, has there been a time where they didn't vote? And find out why they didn't vote. Listen to why they didn't vote. Then ask them, what issues do they care about? What things in the world matter to them the most? What issues do they care about? In fact, you can just ask them, what things do they care about the most in life? And you can then listen to what it is they say that matters the most to them. And then you can talk to them and say, well, by the way, did you know that this, this and this, when you vote, this particular person is someone who can change that particular situation? And currently, at this point, the situation, re the thing that you like or care about is in a certain jeopardy because this political party, the Republicans, are holding it hostage. And the party who will address that need is the party, the Democratic Party, who you should really look at because they've done this over and over and over again. And then if they ask you, well, I feel as if my vote doesn't count, then you can say to them, the reason you are told that is so you are discouraged from voting in the first place. And then you can give them an example or an instance of where voting is very important. Because I think if you tell someone just by, the, by itself that voting is important, that may well go in one ear and out the other. You really do have to bring up an example where voting is proven to be very important. And you can say something like, the Republicans all over this country have discouraged people from voting by doing this, this, and this. In Texas, they're doing this. And in Texas right now, they literally are passing legislation 
that would appoint special advisors and special officials to overturn elections in Harris County, which is a black county, predominantly black county in Texas, the largest county in Texas of the 200 plus counties that are there. And you can tell that person that if your vote didn't count, you wouldn't have Republicans doing that in these states. Your vote really does matter. And the Republicans know that your vote matters. And that's why they do what they do to try to dissuade you from voting and to curtail your voting and to suppress your vote. So you can bring up an example like that. If someone says, well, police brutality continues to happen no matter who I vote in. I'm voting in the federal level for President Biden. I'm voting in the federal level for a House of Representatives. I'm voting in the federal level for a senator. And heck, police brutality still happens. I vote for my governor and still it happens. And none of these people who I vote for does anything about this. Well, here's what you then say to them or ask them. Do you know who your local elected officials are? And if they tell you no, you have to tell those persons. You need to find out who your local officials are because your local officials are the ones that have a large say in dealing with police brutality. It's not that your police chief necessarily does, although that person you would think would have some knowledge about that. It is much more about the local officials beyond the police officials who would have a stronger idea about holding police to account. Who is your city council person? Who is your mayor? Who is your DA? Who is your local assembly person or board of supervisor or town council person? Who is that person? Who is your city council person? Who is that individual or individuals who are in charge of this? By the way, do you know what your city politician departments are? Can you name them? Do you know if there is an office of budget and management? Do you know if there is an office that deals with the police and police commissions? Do you know if there is some kind of audit committee in your local area? These are important committees and these are variously named in different states. If you want to know about education, if you're concerned about that, you need to know who the school board is. Do you know who your school board is? And so those questions need to be asked. And you can help that person Understand that they have a stake in voting and that voting is very important to them because voting relates back to the issues that they care about. But my idea and my advice to you, if you are registering people to vote, is not to talk down to people or to instruct people. Now, obviously, you will instruct in the sense that you will educate them on how to register to vote. But. What you really should be doing in these particular interactions with people when you're trying to register them 
is to listen to them. Now, look, they may not have very much time at all to talk to you, but they will have some time if they choose to, to talk to you and you will have to listen to them. Rather than talk to them endlessly, you're going to have to do a lot more listening. It's more about you listening to them than you foisting upon them and lecturing them on what they need to be able to do. In other words, let them give you the answer. And then you can supplement that answer as the solution. So if you, as a listener, elicit an answer from the person you're trying to register, you need to further supplement their answer as the compelling reason that they need to go out and vote. And then also make sure you make it clear to them that voting itself does not cure everything. But that not voting makes things a lot worse for you and the people you care about. If you can tie those entities together and convince someone without lecturing them that they have a stake in voting and that voting affects the issues that they care about and that not voting makes it easier for someone else to affect the issues you care about in a negative way, then you are already on the road to success and you are more likely to see that voter not only register, but also to see that voter vote on election day. Try that formula this summer. This summer, Try that formula. Trust me, I am very, very confident that it will work like a charm. Follow along, won't you, dear listener, on Twitter at the popcorn R E E L and also on Spoutable S P O U T I B L E dot com forward slash popcorn R E E L. And there's a number of other social media platforms as well, including Mastodon. Mastodon, that one is available as well. Just type in at Popcorn R-E-E-L and you should get my name popping up there in that particular social media enterprise. Now, of course, there are numerous things that you can find me on, including, as I said, Mastodon, Spoutable, And also, of course, this podcast, which is on a number of podcasting platforms, including Apple and Spotify and Audible and Amazon. And my goodness me, there's so many. And there's so many Stitcher and uh, Odyssey and Pandora and so many more than that. Coming soon, the vote hat. It's coming soon to the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store the dash politocrat.myshopify.com. That hat is coming soon. I'm looking forward to having that on the store. It's coming. It is coming very soon indeed. Thank you very much for listening to this edition 
of the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.